Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, DICE's podcast where we dig into topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain technology professionals in a historically tight market, and much more. Our next guest is Dylan Etkin, CEO and co-founder of Sleuth, a company that helps engineering teams measure and improve their efficiency. If you use Jira, the application that allows teams to manage projects and keep track of bugs and other issues, you're already familiar with Dylan's work, as he was the lead developer on Jira for five years. He's also head of development and operations teams for Bitbucket, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. In other words, Dylan is uniquely positioned to provide some fascinating insights into making engineering teams more efficient, how development teams can make great decisions that take everyone's views into account, and much more. So let's listen in. So thank you for being on. Um, like we were saying right before I hit the record button, uh, you're one of the original architects of Jira, you know, and so many people in tech use Jira and obviously it gives you incredible insight into engineering teams and measuring what they're doing, how they're doing it, hopefully improving their efficiency a little bit along the way. So um, I'm really, I'm really grateful that you agreed to do this. I think it's, this, this will be a fun discussion. Yeah. Glad to be here. Cool. So one thing that I really wanted to talk to you about um you know, especially since you're the CEO and co-founder of Sleuth, which is a company that is designed to, you know, help engineering teams measure and improve their efficiency and things like that. Um, efficiency is a huge issue for development teams everywhere, whether they're large or small. You know, many software developer, they complain that management above them doesn't really grasp what it takes to come into a project and that you know, rushing something out the door isn't necessarily the best way to do it and that there are better ways to be efficient, better ways to spend resources and things. And then management obviously has a different perspective on that sometimes, especially if management doesn't come from an engineering background. They're looking at different metrics. They want different things. And so there's this sort of this, this disconnect um, or this lack of sort of seeing a kind of a holistic picture almost. And I'm I'm just wondering, I mean, from your perspective, given all of your insight into this, I mean, how do engineers and managers solve for this? How does everybody sort of get on the same page and get efficient and like complete projects on time and on budget? I mean, how does, what's your top level view on all that? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, we could probably just spend the entire uh, time talking about that um, because it's complicated. So, you know, I think we have to zoom out a couple levels just Mm -hmm. to really talk about that appropriately. Uh, And I think that efficiency in engineering has been something that we've always wanted to get a handle on, uh, but have very rarely been able to do so. So, you know, I I like to joke that, you know, back in the days of punch card programming, uh, it was probably the person who had the smallest stack that was the most efficient engineer, right? Obviously Mm -hmm. a terrible measure of of efficiency, you know, and and then we took that even further as uh, the industries kind of moved on, we moved on to this idea of lines of code and, you know, different ways of auditing um, what engineering is up to. But I think we're mature enough now to recognize that engineering is a somewhat creative and somewhat scientific endeavor. Uh, And, you know, you can make a ton of impact with a five line change that took you three or four days to actually figure out because it was some hectic performancey thing or algorithm or whatever. And, uh, it's definitely the case that developers are very wary of measurement. Uh, 
Uh, they're very wary of um, management measuring the wrong things, you know, mm-hmm. things that don't really matter and don't have a, a, a real indicative um, intent of, of of what you were actually doing. Now, um, we've kind of entered a, in my mind, a golden age where this is actually quantifiable now, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think a similar thing happened with Salesforce, right? Where you had sales teams that had measures of efficiency that they'd kind of like ad hoc put together, you know, but then Salesforce came along and said, we're going to give you process. We're going to take the tools that you're already using and we're going to give you insights into that. And we're going to show you where things are falling down, where your bottlenecks are. And the sales folks couldn't really argue with it because they were like, this is helping me, mm-hmm. not hurting me. And it's an accurate measure of, of our effectiveness. Um, so for, for software engineering, you know, that's been kind of the door of metrics. Uh, more broadly, the move to DevOps and mm-hmm. saying, we're going to move to frequent deploys. We're going to try and minimize our batch sizes. We're going to try and get smaller and smaller uh, changes out so that we reduce the blast area. We are going to take into account uh, you know, how things land for the customer. We're not going to move fast and break shit. Um, you know, and, and this kind of cultural shift, and then also that in concert with uh, a giant move to cloud tooling has really opened up the arena for being able to say, let's take the real work that people are working on and glean some metrics that are reproducible so that we can have this conversation about efficiency. So that's a long-winded intro to, you know, I believe that we're in a place right now where we can actually start to have these conversations. No, I mean, I think that was a perfect intro. It makes me think of vanity metrics almost where you have, you know, certain groups within an organization will be like they they care about something for, you know, maybe it's an internal political reason, or maybe it's because they think that something is going to have more exterior business impact than it will. But it it seems to me almost that, you know, if you sort of systematize it and adopt these systems that the fear of sort of focusing on the wrong thing then potentially goes away. The engineers can show that, you know, like this, and then everyone's sort of aligned on going towards those KPIs and those goals that, that actually seem to fit. Um, I guess, I mean, so at Sleuth, I mean, in terms of all this, I mean, we've talked to sort of on a big sort of more abstract level about it, but I mean, how does that work in terms of what Sleuth is doing? I mean, how are, mm-hmm. how are you sort of contributing and pushing towards that goal and helping everyone kind of get efficient and aligned? Yeah. So I, I, I basically what it comes down to is um, properly capturing the work that is actually being done. Hmm. And, and I think that that's a huge difference. Like, you know, lines of code, yeah, you, you did a certain something, but what were you trying to accomplish, right? And also uh, the, the idea of rather than looking at an individual, looking at a team, right? Because looking at individuals, you start to stack rank. It can become this like toxic thing where you're not necessarily pushing the culture of your team to be better. You're, you're, you're focusing on the wrong problem. Um, and so what it looks like when you're focusing on the team, and again, through this lens of Dora metrics, you can say, all right, I'm going to attach to existing systems. And maybe that's like a GitHub or a Bitbucket or an Azure or you know GitLab or one of these systems that's going to do source control and reviews. So like, you know, there's, there's definitely some uh, development tool primitives that exist nowadays, you know, and you got like issue trackers, like a Jira or a linear or shortcut, or, you know, one of these tools out there, uh, you're going to have a CI CD system. That's going to be, you know, a circle CI or an AWS code deploy, or, you know, a GitHub actions or one of these things. And you're going to have some measure of 
failure, you're going to have probably multiple measures of failure. You're going to have like an incident management system and a pager duty uh, or a status page. You're going to have like a metric system and like a data dog or a new relic. Uh, and, you know, these tend to be toolings that most teams have adopted. And so what you can do is you can connect up to these different tools where I like to think of it as the individuals in your organization, they're paying into each one of these tools daily, right? When you are doing work in Jira, you're paying in, you're making an investment in that tool every day to like update your status, add comments, do these mm -hmm. things. So the work is happening, right? And what we're able to do at this point is to, to connect up to these different systems, glean that information, and then extract these like high quality measures of efficiency that reflect the actual work that's going out, you know, yeah. and that can look like deploying something, you know, you open a pull request. We want to tell you how long you've spent coding. We want to tell you how long it takes for that pull request to actually get looked at. Then we want to take you, tell you like, you know, after you've looked at it for the first time, how long has it taken to go through that review process where you go back and forth? And then once you've merged it, that's a whole other journey, right? Like, maybe you have four different environments at your organization. So you want to know when did it get to testing? When did it get to, uh, you know, acceptance? When did it get to staging? When did it get to production? And what did that journey look like? Because, you know, there could be bottlenecks in there. And again, that's not necessarily reflecting on the individual that's reflecting on the team and how you're working as a team and what efficiency looks like inside of your organization. One thing now that you mention it in terms of all these all these processes and flow, and I mean anybody who's dealt with Jira or another project management suite, um, monitoring a huge project like a website redesign or an app launch or what has you, I mean knows that the 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 computational complexity gets very large very quickly. I mean things have a potential to spin up. You've got tons of pages everywhere, tons of product owners and other people who you know are trying to kind of go in and constantly keep everything updated. Um, what do you think about, I mean, what what role does automation play in sort of helping people who are working in these systems sort of take off, you know, sort of automated enough that they don't have to sort of constantly focus and constantly devote as much energy to kind of monitoring stuff as they do to actually kind of doing the work? Because it seems like that's a huge issue that project management has wrestled with for a very long time. I'm just, but now we're starting to get into a a phase where, you know, automation and AI to a certain extent are kind of more prominent. I'm just wondering if that's going to become a factor in all of this as well, like more automation. Yeah. Of, yeah. I mean, I feel like you're either reading our product roadmap or our marketing <laughs> material. Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, I mean, even if we zoom out a tiny bit, like how has in our software engineering industry moved ourselves forward? I think you could argue the case that it's almost always through automation. So, you know, back in the day when unit testing became a thing, you know, there was a small window where we did those things and we ran the tests on our laptops. Uh, but very quickly we decided, hey, this is right for automation. We can use a Jenkins or we can use a Bamboo or, you know, later generations in CircleCI to, to make this repeatable, right? Uh, similarly, you know, when I first started working uh, and when I was running the Bitbucket team, you know, our deployments had manual steps in them, right? It looked like SSHing into servers and restarting services. And we had somebody who was more traditional ops than, you know, like somebody who was managing like AWS in the cloud. Uh, you know, would you ever create a software team that way today? Highly unlikely, right? You're going to automate that deploy so that it becomes a non-event 
Uh, and so, you know, and every time we automate something, we remove toil from mm -hmm. like the developer and from the, the team that's managing a thing. And that allows them to focus on that next rung up on the staircase, that higher level order of the thing that you're actually trying to do. Uh, and we're absolutely there today with engineering efficiency as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a release uh, coming up on Sleuth we're really excited about in the uh, early August timeframe. We're already in beta right now where we have an automations marketplace. And uh, the whole goal of that is to say, look, there's been you know, 10, 15 years of software teams building bespoke tools and workflows, you know, like things like um, guardrails, you know, where you're saying we never, you know, like we never merge a pull request when we're in an incident. We never open a pull request without an issue key reference, right? Like this is a guardrail where you're saying like, this keeps us on track. This keeps us at a quality level that we want. We're never going to deviate from this. Or you can have like notifications where you say, when we deploy to staging, we're going to alert the people who were a part of that uh, so that they are aware and they can do smoke tests or, or that sort of thing. Or, mm -hmm. you know, if you're trying to track towards a goal, you can have a smart notification that lets you say, hey, you better get on this review because you're, you know, two hours away from busting this goal that you guys have as a team. Uh, you know, similarly, sometimes teams will set up some sort of automated action, like if this, then that, you know, like if a thing triggers in Datadog, add a comment to a JIRA issue, and then like, you know, give a link back to an environment such that they can see it. Uh, or even just, you know, really complicated things like workflows saying, I want to, via Slack, approve, you know, promotion of a deploy from a staging environment to a production environment. Now, um, you know, I've run engineering teams in the past where I've taken a senior engineer and said, you've got three weeks to like build this thing. As a team, we've decided that this will help us be more efficient. This will help us get our work done better. Uh, and then they go off and they build this bespoke thing and they have to interact with, I don't know, the GitHub API, the Jira API, Bamboo's API. They have to figure out where they're hiding a, a, a secret key for the API access and all this stuff. And, you know, we also then don't have a measure of whether that's actually effective or not. You know, we mm -hmm. have the sunk cost fallacy that we would just spend three weeks on it. So it must be good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're in the place right now where we can take these best practices that teams have built around their software development lifecycle. We can automate those and we can interact with all these complicated systems to give you these higher level workflows to really help with efficiency. And I, I think that's the key to, continuous improvement, right? Is you have to experiment, measure how the experiment went, uh, you know, make sure that you have a baseline that you're comparing against, decide if it went well or poorly, and, you know, and either keep it, remove it, and then try again. You just got to keep that circle rolling. It would also seem to be really helpful in the sense of like a lot of teams these days, it's not like a monolithic cluster where it's all full-time engineers or whatever you have, you know, I, I've worked on projects where you have like a bunch of contractors over here who might, you know, have only sort of a lower level of knowledge at GitHub or whatever than kind of the full-time people over there. You've got managers who are trying to monitor the workflow and so on. And so guardrails, it seem to be kind of efficient for given how a lot of teams are hybridized in terms of roles and skill levels and contractors and things like that. Um, because, I mean, we've all seen instances where, yeah, without guardrails and so on, like these things can like spin wildly out of control and so on. And then it's a real it's a real issue. Um, yeah, cool. I mean, you know, just to make a point on that is uh, DevOps is amazing because it's 
taken the locus of control and given it closer to the people who are doing the actual work. But the, the double-edged sword of that is that it's a lot more to understand. And it's a lot like, you know, if you don't have automations in place and you don't have a proper flow in place, you're really genuinely overloading your, your individuals and not giving them the tools that they need to be successful. If you have to understand every metric and data dog to decide if a deploy was successful or not, like you're going to spend all your time doing that. You're not going to have enough time for other things, right? So you need to have a system that says, these are the four or five North stars that I'm going to care about. And then you have to bring that information to the individuals, not have them have to go figure out where the hell that stuff actually lives. Yeah. Which, which flows into the other point, which I was interested in breaking down, which is, you know, when it comes to efficiency and measurement and so on, I mean, what are the other challenges in addition to that, that teams face? I mean, there, there's, there's obviously the complexity issue, you know, and the reporting issue to a certain extent, but I mean, a lot of teams today, I mean, is it, are they, are, is it communication issues? Is it, is it from what you've seen? Is it resource issues? I mean, kind of what are the, the top things that these tools can help solve? Mm, yeah. I mean, there's so many different, different ways, right? Like, and there's so many different teams and different life cycles of their journey. Um, and so, you know, we, there's like, I'd, I'd say the first one is just cultural, right? Where you're like, does an organization understand why this is important? Uh, and are they invested in being a, an organization that wants to do continuous learning? So, you know, like we've worked with organizations that want to make that transition, but you know, the PMs don't understand what it's going to look like to deploy frequently. You know, they don't understand like, how are we going to, how are we going to do that? How are we going to turn things on and turn things off? Aren't we going to make a mess of things? Like marketing can often be, you know, culturally misaligned with that sort of goal because they want to do a big bang announcement and they're not quite how to sure how to understand when you're shipping incrementally, how that would work. And even just, um, you know, like uh, execs, right? Like, there needs to be a genuine buy-in that like moving faster is going to be better for the customer. It's going to be better for your overall organizational efficiency and it's going to help the bottom line of the, the, the org. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's like, you know, the, um, uh, accelerate book, uh, the state of DevOps reports, like there's a lot of things that basically if you, if you need to make a case, culturally that this is a, a good thing to do. I think there's a lot of support out there um, for, for doing that sort of thing. I love the uh, state of the DevOps reports, just as an aside, just, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. The Stack Overflow stuff is just like, it's amazing in terms of like just a deep dive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like you say, I, I think communication is another area where um, teams can, can run into trouble, right? Like, so again, you're moving faster, which means there's more moving parts which means there's more opportunity to uh, step on each other's toes or to not be clear on how things are meant to work. So, you know, having like a clear definition of like, this is what it means to deploy. Like, this is what it means when you're done. Like, this is what our definition of done looks like. And again, having automations in place to help define that makes it all very clear. Like that's a form of communication too. Like you have a new member who joins your team, you know, their first question is how do we work? Right. Yeah. And how do I know, like, how will I learn that, you know? And if it's a, an ecosystem that makes it very hard to uh, do things in a way that are not the right way for your team, right? Like that can, that can come from automation uh, and communication tools. Yeah. So, you know. That's a lot. I mean, it, it, it's so complex. I mean, one of the things too, I mean, especially with what you, as you mentioned, like the speed of decision-making and the complexity of it and so on, 
and all these different people, you know, as you say, you got executives, you got marketing and so on, in addition to the engineers. And so when it comes to decision making, particularly like the ultra crucial decisions, like, you know, do we need to include this feature or what metrics should we be measuring or can we meet things by this deadline? Um, you know, you obviously need all team members input in on that. And I guess the question is, you know, I, I don't know if you want to call it the democratization of decision making or whatever, but I mean, how can organizations, how do you think organizations can sort of make sure that everyone's opinions and ideas and so on are taken to a, in account, especially if it can be done like within the framework of a, of a platform that allows people to like kind of put their ideas down or their, or their needs. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I, I'm, I, I had thought about that question a little bit and mm -hmm. I might have a, I might have a different opinion now that I'm a, a, a business owner than I did when I was an engineering manager, mm -hmm. you know, so. um, cause I have, you know, coming spending lots and lots of years at Atlassian, uh, you know, I think we did, we definitely invested in hiring really smart people. And when you do that, you want to make sure that you're giving them the opportunity to, uh, have inputs and, you know, that you're using basically that smarts, um, but there's definitely something to be said for death by democracy when it comes to moving really quickly and product decisions and uh, like, you know, specifically in a startup where you're trying to find product market fit, mm -hmm. right? Like there is something to having a vision and charting a course to that vision, obviously not with blinders on, but, you know, cutting through some of the red tape that comes with like committee um, yeah. when trying to do things, you know? And so I think the, a way a lot of teams are trying to walk that that balance today is through like a DevOps approach where you're saying, look, we're going to get you, everybody's going to be involved, right? Like the PM and the designer and the engineers are talking constantly and we're walking, mm -hmm. working on like such small batch sizes that we're saying, hey, this is a collaboration as we go, you know, and you're, you're uh, not going away for five weeks and just like, you know, building this like, you know, giant thing that you're just going to land, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, you have a lot of opportunity for course correction as you go. Yeah. So you're delivering smaller increments and you're saying you are empowered to take the product and design input to turn that into something real. But then you're also going to work with those folks to be like, does this seem right? And you're going to push that out into production and then do it again. And so in that way, you know, you do have input. You're very involved in the process, um, but maybe you're not overly democratized. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's always been sort of a marvel to me where, you know, obviously smaller teams can follow that. But then you look at like large organizations, like I, I think Valve is the one that people keep citing where it's a, a holacracy almost where they mm. say that, you know, everything's like completely flattened and everybody is sort of equally empowered and that everybody sort of can manage their workflow in their own way. And whenever I read references, that, I'm like, is that, are those organizations actually practicing what they're preaching or is it a lot right. more sort of structured in terms of their sprints and their hierarchy and everything than they sort of like want to kind of let on, you know, whatever Gabe Newell is doing over here is actually like much more hierarchical and traditional than, than that. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I, there's a, there's a classic example that I, I had some vantage into uh, and so, so GitHub, right? Like in the very early days of GitHub, GitHub was a meritocracy as well. Oh, uh, okay. now I worked on Bitbucket when GitHub was in its heyday. You know, mm -hmm. we were always about one third the size of GitHub. We were chasing them, and like it, it's an amazing product. It's you know 
done very well under Microsoft as well. I love GitHub. We use it all the time now. Yeah. Uh, but I do know that they moved at an incredible speed when they were about 30, mm-hmm. you know, and they had like super smart people and they were just all very motivated to move their stuff across the line. They went into this long period, like a couple of years where they just had paralysis, right? Where nobody quite had the authority to take a thing across the line, mm-hmm. but you still had this like meritocracy and this very flat structure. Uh, and I think it hurt them, you know, like I remember speaking to Nat Friedman, uh, you know, the former GitHub CEO and him saying, yeah, we just, I, when he came in, he was like, I know we have 150 things just sitting there like 90% done. I want to ship one a day. Like let's, let's clear the croft. Right. But it took somebody to sort of step in and say enough, right. Yeah. Like enough of this, like we, we have to move it forward. And so it, it feels like that very meritocratous environment struggles a little bit when you have an organization that's large enough that it's not exactly clear what it takes to get something across the line. I also feel it's a sort of thing, potentially, I could be very wrong on this, where even if you have sort of like the best system set up, you know, for sort of monitoring, making sure things efficient, making sure things are signed off on and pushed over the line, that there's almost like this human factor to it, this like last mile human factor where you can have all this set up and it's great. But if there's not a human being like sort of saying like, okay, we're doing this, this is how we're going. This is, this is what we're doing in this moment. Then it's kind of all for naught despite that setup. Um, yeah. But only- you know, I mean, it's also, I guess, super interesting that a lot of these, uh, the, the, the FANG companies uh, in this, you know, current economic downturn have decided to get rid of a layer of middle management. You know, like they're just saying like that, that middle manager, we're going to flatten it out. We're going to flatten our structure because we feel like we've gotten, you know, too many uh, rungs of decision making built into our process now. So a long time ago when I was at eWeek, my um, my primary beat was covering Microsoft during the Balmer years. And I remember talking to people on the team that had worked on um, people who had been longtime Microsoft people at that point, but who had worked on XP. Um, Windows XP. And they were saying that, I mean, the, the team that was just focused on the start button in terms of like the layers of management and then the actual people doing implementation and so on was dozens. It was dozens of people for this. And obviously, you know, the start button in terms of everybody's real estate is probably one of the most important, you know, kind of things that they were working on. But even so, it just seemed that I remember thinking at the time, like, whoa, you could probably lose half of those people, flatten it by half and yeah. you'll probably still be good. So, I mean, it's, you know, and then at Meta right now, you know, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg was like, unless you're an individual contributor in some fashion, then you're out the door, even if you were in management. Um, and I heard, um, not directly. So, I mean, this, this is with a very hefty grain of salt, but that some managers actually walked out the door because they didn't want to, they felt it was a demotion to mm-hmm. actually be contributing to product. And I thought that was interesting too, because I mean, I like building stuff. Most people yeah. like building things, but I mean, some people wanted to be at that management level. They didn't want, I mean, just, it was interesting in terms of some yeah. people deal with that. Better. I think it's a, it's a, it's a thing that our, it, it's an experiment that our industry is currently running, you mm. know? Um, cause I mean, the, it goes to that thing of like, you know, I think there's always been a question of, are you an organization where your engineering managers code or are you an engine organization where they don't? And, um, you know, I, I know where my opinion falls on that one. Um, you know, I, I've always felt like if you're running a large enough organization, you shouldn't be coding. It's the wrong focus for you, you know, because 
uh, efficient teams takes investment and time and, uh, you know, conscious decisions. Uh, and that, you know, having to carve out 30% of your week just to code, it, it gets weird. You know, you can't be critical path for anything. Uh, and I think you can be really effective without that, but I know that that's, that's not always the popular opinion, you know? And so we'll see where this experiment goes. I also wonder, I mean, Amazon was famous for, what was it? I forget how many pizzas it was. I think it's two pizza teams. No team should be larger than can be fed with two pizzas. Um, and I do wonder if they, they still hold to that in terms of like their infrastructure and so on. And I mean, it, it definitely seems that, I mean, in terms of like managing projects and so on, like that sort of is potentially an ideal team size. Um, I should ask, I don't have that as many Amazon contacts. I mean, we see that with our larger customers, yeah. uh, you know, we definitely, we can, we get adopted by like segments of an organization, you know? So like we work with Volvo, uh, but we work with only port parts of Volvo. Right. And again, mm -hmm. they, they sort of organize on those two pizza teams, maybe slightly larger, maybe four pizzas. Yeah. Um, but you know, and, and it was the same at Atlassian too. I, I think, you know, I started there when it was 20 people. Uh, mm -hmm. and by the time I left the second time, it was 4,000. I think they're up to like six or eight now or something like that. Wow. Uh, and they do, they still have like, you know, uh, their compass team is I think 50 people that's broken up into, you know, 10 different teams, uh, you know, and so they're, they're still kind of organizing in that way. For those larger teams. And this is actually an, another question that I had for you. I mean, what, if you're a manager and you've, because of hyper growth or whatever, all of a sudden you've got more, way more than like the seven recommended reports or however many they're saying these days should be directly poured into. Like if you have a massive team, like in addition to having good software backing you to help kind of like manage things, I mean, like what skills, I mean, what, how do, how do people do it? How do you manage a team of that massive size? I mean, is mm. it, and make sure this plates all keep spinning. Right. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, uh, unfortunately, we see a little less of that in the last year than we saw uh, previously, where like these companies are going through hyper growth. It's tends to be the other direction right now for a lot of organizations, uh, you know, but um, yeah, I, that that was definitely a driver for people seeking out a tool like Sleuth um, was to say, look, we we knew when there were four of us that we were pretty effective. Uh, and then when there was eight of us, like we felt like, yeah, there's some cracks, but I think we're pulling this off. Then we grew 10 X and now there's 80 of us. And like, we don't even know if we're shipping, you know, once every three months and we don't know where that bottleneck lies. Uh, and so arming their leaders with tooling to understand like, you know, where the, the biggest bottlenecks are in their process and, and their, the, the, the things that they have in place to sort of support that organization is a great step. Now. I think it's a different conversation of, you know, do you have one manager who was managing four people and is now managing 80? Like, I don't think there's a way to scale that. You know what yeah, I mean? Like that person's just screwed. Uh, <laughs> True. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. Yikes. Um, cool. So this is, this is a great chat. Thank you so much. That's it, folks. I had a great time talking to Dylan because, as you could tell from the episode, he thinks so deeply about the project management issues that dominate our work lives. Here are some key takeaways from our discussion. First, there's a growing realization that engineering is a combination of the creative and the scientific. It's not about how many lines of code you write or how many features you ship within a particular quarter. Sometimes, 
The most effective developer or engineer on the team is the one who only writes a few lines of code after thinking very carefully for days or even weeks. As you figure out your team's deliverables, KPIs, and measures of efficiency, you need to think carefully about what actually matters in terms of goals and measurements and plan accordingly. Second, when it comes to project management, automation will only get better. In theory, project management tools will allow teams to hand off more monitoring and management processes to an algorithm, allowing human beings to focus more on important work. And that's a good thing. But as we pursue automation, we need to be careful to make sure proper guardrails are in place so that automation doesn't mess up processes or make things overly complicated. Third, it seems like big tech companies such as Meta are embracing efficiency and trying to take away layers of management. Across the tech industry, it's all about smaller teams, fewer managers, and more individual contributors. As Dylan says, this is going to be an interesting experiment over the next few years. Do you really need a thick layer of middle management? How many managers are too much? And should managers actually be coding or devoting all of their energies to actually running teams? We covered a lot of other topics during the interview, so give it a re-listen if there was something you missed. And we'll see you next time. Remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles. And for technology professionals, the best place to grow your tech career.